0: Our self-life, self-indulgence, self-preservation, self-gratification, our self-life, as it turns out, is a tyrant that robs us of real life, the life that Jesus has for us. And I believe that this selfishness, this craving of the flesh, is something that Jesus came to set us free from. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works, Today we're heading into the final message in this series called Eliminating Stubborn Sin Once and for All because with all my heart, I believe that's exactly what the Lord wants to see happening in your life. So let's do it. Let's dive into God's Word. And please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works' free daily devotional. It's called Fresh and it's all about helping you to live in complete victory over sin just the way Jesus intended. Selfishness is a word that we're all too familiar with, but I wonder how often we stop to think about what it actually means. Self-ishness. It's about our tendency to put ourself, our needs, our plans, our reputations before other people. Problem is, we notice when other people are being selfish to us. We notice when they put themselves and their own interests before ours. But we rarely notice when the shoe's on the other foot. We rarely notice when it's us being selfish. In fact, for most of my life, I never once thought of myself as being selfish, when the reality was that self was all I was interested in. How about you? How often do you think of yourself being selfish as opposed to other people being selfish towards you? Hmm. That's why selfishness is such an insidious sin. It rears its ugly head all too often without us ever really noticing that we're the ones being selfish. And this putting of self above and before other people, it takes so many different forms. Whenever my interests are more important to me than your interests, the easiest thing in the world is to put mine before yours. And that, that's what we call selfishness. Over the last three weeks on the program, we've been chatting about overcoming stubborn sin. And I know that there are a few people who might squirm in that little word, sin. I used to, too. I thought of it as an outdated, irrelevant, judgmental, religious term that, frankly, belonged in the lexicon of those doddering old folk I saw wandering in and out of those places they called church. And that, that is a deception that the devil was happy for me to live under for many years. But sin, it's a very simple concept... It's falling short of all the good and wonderful things that God has planned for our lives. It's missing the whole point. And the point is that God wants us to enjoy him and worship him and glorify him with our lives. And that brings such a great source of delight and wonder and peace and joy to us. It's the way things are meant to be now and for all eternity. Through every up and every down, every mountaintop experience and every trial and temptation and hurt that this world has to offer. And so those sins that are particularly stubborn, that one sin that keeps coming back again and again and again, is Satan's messenger to torment us, to try and rob us of the abundant life that God has planned for us. And this one, selfishness, is one that so many people suffer from. It's one that used to be right up there on the top of my list too. I couldn't see what was wrong with it either. I worked hard, I applied myself, and I'm this outcome-focused person who drives hard at life to achieve what I set out to achieve, my agenda, my success, my way or the highway. So what's wrong with getting my way? If other people want to get their way, well, they should be like me, otherwise tough, right? That's the world's template for success. Climb over whoever you have to, roll over the top of whoever you have to, crash through whoever you have to to get to where you're going. And here's how it changed for me. There were two parts, one to do with my heart, the other to do with my hands. In other words, one part to do with my motivation and the other part to do with my practical doing, how I lived that out. I was always after greatness. I wanted people to recognise who I was, to recognise my achievements. And I, like most of the rest of the world, thought that that was about getting my way and other people going, wow, isn't he fantastic? Well, that's a deception, that's a lie, because it doesn't work that way. Jesus, in what the theologians called the great denunciation in Matthew chapter 23, where he rips into the religious leaders of the day, people who are selfish and who are ripping off those in their charge, right in the middle of his vehement argument against their hypocrisy and selfishness. Jesus has this to say, he says, The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will will be exalted. That's Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Now, I thought about that a lot, and the truth of that first sentence really, really started to do its work in me. The greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest people in my life, the ones whom I truly value and honour and respect, are the ones who have served me more than all the others. There's a man called Graham. He was a colonel in the army when I was a young captain. Together, Graham and I and another man, Mark, left the army, and formed an information technology consulting firm. Now, Graham is not only intellectually one of the smartest people I know, but he has a deep wisdom about life, about dealing with other people, about all sorts of things. Now, he's 20 years my senior, and over a period of 17 years when we worked together in this consulting firm, he was my mentor, my teacher. He taught me how to, how to listen, how not to roll over the top of people, how to influence instead of control, He taught me any number of things. Many of those come out through these radio programs day after day and week after week, all these years later. He served me even when I was young and precocious, even when I didn't deserve it. Ask me who were amongst the greatest people in my life, and he's right up there. Once I figured out the deep truth of what Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant, my motivations changed. And then, then it was time to live that out, minute by minute, relationship by relationship, interaction by interaction. And here's what I discovered when I took my selfishness out of the equation, when, when I no longer had to win every time and, and get my way every time. All of a sudden, life became much easier. James chapter 3, verse 16. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. And that is absolutely right. Take away the selfishness, and instead of disorder and wickedness, what you get nine times out of ten is peace. Once I learned to collaborate instead of obliterate, wow, what a great way to live your life. You know why ultimately selfishness has become one of the easiest of my stubborn sins to give up? You know why? Because the rewards are so great. And they're pretty much instant. Stop the selfishness, and conflict reduces Peace increases, relationships improve, and it happens quickly. And after a while, it's really easy to get addicted to those rewards. You know, I'm wondering if that isn't what God planned all along. Have a listen to a bit more of what James chapter 3 says, verses 16 to 18. For where there is envy or selfish ambition, there will be also disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. When we give up our selfishness, we are sowing peace, and whatever we sow, we will reap. We reap a harvest which is peace. This really works. Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh A Short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now also receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version afresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com you'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the Fresh printed devotional. It's completely up to you. Again, online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. Now, every now and then, we go head first, splat on our faces. And there are two options. Just lie there and give up or get up. Wipe the tears from your eyes and the dirt from your wounds and keep going. Well, I don't know about you, But for me, this last few weeks on the program where we've been looking at overcoming stubborn sin once and for all, it's been a real challenge, and for me too, a breath of fresh air. See, as we've travelled through God's Word, you know what's really leapt out for me? The truth that Jesus truly does want to set us free from the terrible effects of those stubborn sins that linger on in our lives. How many people I know, I I was just sitting the other day having coffee with a man, a really successful businessman who was telling me about something in his life, a, a stubborn sin. And as successful as he was in business, he completely resigned himself to the fact, at least he thought it was a fact, that this stubborn sin would never go away. He was utterly convinced of it. Man, that is such a tragedy. Does that mean he believes that when it comes to that one particular stubborn sin that Jesus died and rose again in vain? Does he believe that the cross of Christ is mighty and powerful and able to save everyone and everything except him from that one sin? Evidently so. Well, let me be perfectly blunt. Too many people for too long have been living with stubborn sin, destructive patterns of behaviour that they could be completely free of through a simple yet tenacious faith in Jesus Christ. Today, right now, I want to show you that this truth is for you too. But here's the problem. So many people want a foot in each camp. They want to be free of the destructive effects of stubborn sin, but they don't want to pay the price of letting it go. Let me paint a picture for you. The man who works in a company, he's incredibly competent at what he does. He knows his job backwards, and as it turns out, his skills and knowledge and abilities are invaluable to his employer. But he's incredibly critical. No one else can ever do the job to his standard, and so he complains about people, he almost always has a bad attitude, he grumbles, and because no one else can do things to his standard, he becomes a control freak. So valuable as he may well be to his employer he just doesn't have any friends at work when people organise to go out to lunch together they somehow forget to invite him the others seem to laugh together and enjoy one another's company but he's always on the outer he knows deep inside that his attitudes are robbing him of those relationships but the truth is he's not prepared to let go of the bad attitudes and the destructive behaviour that's robbing him of life And that's what happens. See, we we justify our own sin to ourselves, and we want to be rid of its effects. We we just don't want to have to pay the price of letting the sin go out of our lives. (laughs) Does this sound familiar? We're double-minded about our sin. We want to foot in both camps. We want to be free, but we just don't want to let go. Now, here's the question. How do we take this decisive step to let go of the sin? How? Well, I believe that what's required is a decisive step a firm decision, a firm resolve in Christ to make a change. And if you know that you've been double-minded, if you know that you've been struggling trying to have one foot in each camp and it hasn't been working, I want to share this powerful few verses from the Word of God with you because I believe that through them, the Spirit of God is going to help you to decide once and for all to let go of whatever stubborn sin has been tearing your life apart. I'm reading from Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment summed up by this word, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not revelling and drunkenness, not debauchery and licentiousness, not quarrelling and jealousy." Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here's what God's saying to us through the Apostle Paul in this chapter from Romans. You know all the obvious rules, the ones we just can't seem to keep because of the stubborn sin in our lives. You want to know what they boil down to? Love the people around you. Just love them the way God loves you. And then he allowed his son, Jesus, to be brutally nailed to that cross for you. Let me ask you, can you do that? Are you prepared to love others the way Jesus loved you? That's the question. God's asking each one of us right now, take a good hard look at my son nailed hands and feet to the cross, God saying, gasping for breath, dying, bearing the price of your sin in his flesh that you might be forgiven. Take a good hard look. Now tell me, now that you see my great love for you, will you love others with that same love with which I loved you. The day is coming. The time of your salvation is much, much closer than you might imagine. It is time, it's time, my child, for you to live in that light, to lay aside the works of your darkness and put on the armour of light. Replace whatever sin it is that's tearing you apart. Replace it with the love that you have in my son, Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. God's saying through this passage, you've been making provision for your flesh to gratify your worldly desires. It is time. It is time for you, for each one of us, to decide instead to clothe ourselves in Christ, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and stop making provisions for your flesh. Stop pandering to your desires. And this, my friend, is the crunch point. We start off with all these great intentions. No, no, I won't be selfish anymore. No, no, I won't get involved in sexual immorality anymore. No, no, I won't let anger ruin my life. But then, then the flesh cries out. See, the flesh never wants to let go. It never wants to die to self. And when it hurts, when it screams out, when we can't get the gratification that we become addicted to, a gratification no less destructive than heroin or ice, mind you, when we can't get it anymore, what we do is we pander to the flesh. And just continue on that downward spiral of self-destruction that sin is all about. Today, today, God is calling you and me to a decisive point in our lives. Listen again to the very call of God to you and to me. Listen, allow it to rest on your heart. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, I have a question. As the Holy Spirit takes that scripture and begins to do his work in your heart by it, are you prepared to make the decision to die to self, to stop making provision for the flesh each time it cries out and once and for all clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ? Because that's what God is calling each one of us to do. I can't answer that call for you. Only you can. As you stand and behold the Lamb of God, suffering on that cross for you. Let me ask you this. Do you hear his call? Die to self and come. Come and enjoy the new life that my son died to give to you. Do you see how much God loves you? Come. Do you hear the call? How do you answer? I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. The devil is constantly trying to trip you up with the same old tricks, lies, deceptions and temptations. But Jesus came to give you victory, complete victory over all that stuff. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our special edition book this month called Eliminating Stubborn Sin Once and for All. It's full of life-changing practical Bible teaching to help you live in the victory over sin that Jesus died and rose again to give you. To request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website. It's called ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on one 722 415 and we'll send your free book straight out to you in the post. But this is the very last week that this particular book will be available, so please don't miss out. Remember, this isn't one of our usual life application booklets, but a special edition book. Eliminating Stubborn Sin Once and for All. Those contact details again, in case you miss them, are online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on one 722 415 Well, we're almost at the end of today's message and indeed at the end of this series, which I called Eliminating Stubborn Sin Once and for All. So as we wrap things up, let's do so with the most important thing, There's a reason that God wants us to eliminate that stubborn sin in our lives. So let's take a look at what that reason is, because it is the most important thing. As we come to the end of this four-week series, Overcoming Stubborn Sin Once and For All, I know that there are still some among us, whilst they hunger in their hearts after God, find that something, an elusive something, is holding them back. Something is not quite right. If that's what's going on inside you right now, then you should not be surprised. You're not alone. There is indeed an elusive something holding back many a man and many a woman, holding them back from giving their lives, all of who they are, over to God. Holding them back from letting go of this stubborn sin that has been ruling their lives for all too long. I want to read something to you that was written by the well-known author A.W. Tozer in the mid-20th century in his book, The Pursuit of God. The language and the turn of phrase may date it a little, but it makes the truth of what he says no less true and no less powerful. Have a listen to what he writes. There is something more serious than coldness of heart, something that may be back of that coldness and be the cause of its existence. What is it? What but the presence of a veil in our hearts, a veil not taken away as the first veil was, but which remains there still shutting out the light and hiding the face of God from us. It is the veil of our fleshly fallen nature living on, unjudged within us, uncrucified and unrepudiated. It is the close woven veil of the self-life which we have never truly acknowledged, of which we have been secretly ashamed, and which for these reasons we have never brought to the judgment of the cross." It is not too mysterious, this opaque veil, nor is it hard to identify. We have but to look in our own hearts, and we shall see it there, sewn and patched and repaired it may be, but there nevertheless an enemy to our lives and an effective block to our spiritual progress. This veil is not a beautiful thing, and it is not a thing about which we commonly care to talk. But I am addressing the thirsting souls who are determined to follow God, and I know they will not turn back because the way leads temporarily through the blackened hills. The urge of God within them will assure their continuing pursuit. They will face the facts, however unpleasant, and endure the cross for the joy set before them. So I am bold to name the threads out of which this inner veil is woven. It is woven of fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit, They are not something we do, they are something we are, and therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be specific, the self-sins are these, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of God is focused on them. The gross of the manifestations of these sins, egotism, exhibitionism, self-promotion, are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. Promoting the self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. The self is a hard and brittle taskmaster, and letting go is painful. Toza goes on to say this, Let us remember, when we talk about the rending of the veil, we are speaking in a figure, And the thought of it is poetical, almost pleasant. But in actuality, there is nothing pleasant about it at all. In human experience, that veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the sentient, quivering stuff of which our whole being consists. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. To tear it away, this veil of self, is to injure us, to hurt us, and to make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all. It is never fun to die. To rip through that dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply, deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus and it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free. Let us beware of tinkering with our inner life in the hope ourselves to rend the veil. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. We must confess, forsake and repudiate the self-life and then reckon it to be crucified. But we must be careful to distinguish lazy acceptance from the real work of God. We must insist upon this work being done. We dare not rest with a neat doctrine of self-crucifixion. That is to imitate Saul and to spare the best of the sheep and the oxen. I've got to tell you, That really strikes hard with me. There is a veil of self that hangs over many a heart because we have not taken it to God, because we have not allowed it to be crucified, and we have not traveled that way. And I just feel right now as we finish this series up, this four-part series of eliminating stubborn sin once and for all, I feel that you and I should pray this very thing through. Father God, we come before you today knowing the depth of our sin and the consequences of our rebellion. We come before you today not knowing how to let go of this stubborn sin that dogs our lives, and we know that it is only through the cross that this veil of self can be torn from our hearts. So we come to you by the power of your cross and the grace available to us through the price that Jesus paid for us there. Forgive us, Lord God, and set us free from this sin once and for all. This day, this moment, we will take up your cross And follow you, no matter what it may cost us, no matter how much it may hurt to give up the self-life. Even if it should cost us our lives, we choose to follow you. Father God, honour the desires of our hearts and empower us to live our lives for you. Father, we give our lives over to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to live in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to give them. But you see, that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give towards the ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach almost 3,000 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax deductible gift to Christianity Work today. You can do that right now securely online by visiting our mobile friendly website ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1300 722 415 Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll free on 1300 722 415 Thanks so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond and I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.